you know, in terms of who garners my attention and who I help and so forth, you always help the people that have helped themselves, that have done the research, that have done the homework, that have mapped things out, that have made it easier, that really clearly articulate why they need, you know, executive engagement. So for sure, it should be part of people's playbooks to engage executives early, often in deal cycles and, and so forth. But I just don't believe that that's for throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. This is Go-To-Market Magic. The show where we talk to go-to-market leaders and visionaries about the aha moments they've experienced. And the pivotal decisions they've made. All in the name of growth. So Steve, who are we talking to today? Seismic's Toby Carrington, Chief Business Officer. Now, Toby is not just in a very senior role here at Seismic, but he's also an investor and an advisor to a wide range of companies. I can't think of anybody better positioned for today's conversation about how we leverage our executives in the sales cycle. Great. Let's jump in. Our guest today is Seismic's own Toby Carrington. We've come close to home today for a really good reason. And and I think when you hear why, I think you're going to agree that this is going to be a high-impact episode. I'll tell you a brief little story. We have a tradition at Seismic called push pins. And they're basically the stories of acquiring every new customer. And this started years ago with a literal push pin on a bulletin board where salespeople would write up the story of how this deal came to be and post it for everyone to see. Now we've got offices and people around the world. Now it all happens digitally. It's actually an email that goes out to the entire company, but it's the story of how this deal came to be. And it's calling out and thanking and appreciating many participants for their specific contribution. And I read these things religiously and nobody, nobody is named more often than Toby. Toby has his fingers in an incredible number of seismic deals, large and small and all around the world. And this got Heather and I thinking, that this is probably a really valuable topic about how to best leverage your senior executives, you know, in closing deals, in building relationships and more. I think it's something that a lot of companies do not have a proper approach to how to do it, when to do it, when not to do it. And we're going to dig into all of that. So forgive me for that long intro, folks, but Toby, thanks for being here. And you really are in a ton of our deals. Tell us how that kind of comes to be. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I mean, if I think about deals and business, people do business with with people. And I've always viewed relationships as really, really, really important. So my involvement in push pins in deals in, in, with customers is very much for me about building relationships with our with our prospects who then turn into clients and hopefully who stay customers for a long 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 period of time, and I think that spans a variety of sort of reasons for for doing that. But I I see the fundamental one about building trust also in an organization. And so, you know, involving someone with a with a senior title, a member of your executive team should really be focused on relationships and making that either, you know, whether it's the first engagement or leveraging 
you know, their network where they've had prior engagement. It's all part of, you know, that relationship building between people, which exp- expands and extends then towards, you know, companies' relationships with each other. What do you and other senior leaders bring into these sorts of conversations that the salespeople can't? So I think that you, you do have to put this in context sometimes of the size of an organization, Steve, right? We sometimes, you know, we're coming at it from a perspective of a reasonably large software company. Of course, there are other large organizations selling to other large organizations or maybe small organizations selling to very large organizations. I think that the context is sometimes important there, but there's a universal truth that when one team is selling something to another person, they're, they're a domain expert. You know, when we talk about enablement solutions or we talk about the current state of coaching and training and how teams are looking to sort of optimize their go-to-market, we have domain expertise. And so a lot of this is about insight sharing, peer-to-peer sharing, understanding what their colleagues might be doing. And that, that there's, there's simply a different level of relationship and ability for someone with a role like mine to be able to talk to my peers, my colleagues, my, you know, uh, sort of people with a similar role in our prospect or client organizations, because we and I also engage at that level with others. And so I think there's a lot of peer-to-peer insights that can be gained. There's a lot of, you know, sort of best practice sharing that indirectly happens through that, through that process, which is simply a different, different level of engagement. So, Toby, you get on the phone with folks that are doing the same job or in similar roles to what you do, which mm-hmm. is fantastic to be in the same persona. One of the things that we see is a big mistake of, of reps as they pull on the senior executives to only talk about the product or why your company or what the differentiation is. Talk a little bit about like when you think the most the best time to be pulled in is and what it is that the value that you have in a sales cycle itself. So I think there's a lot in that around timing as well, because an engagement for senior executive, if it's a Hail Mary, if it's right near the end of a cycle, if it feels transactional, is never very successful, right? Sometimes that serves a purpose in terms of reassurance or something like that towards a prospect. But honestly, it's much better when done earlier when we are, in fact, not really talking about a deal or in particular, especially not a, a particular product or something like um, something like that. So I would say the majority of the conversations I have, if they're focused on seismic and our organization, it's about our organization and how we work with other organizations to deliver them value on the outcomes that they're looking to to deliver. It's certainly not feature function oriented. I think the other the other thing is that in order we should spend the majority of the time talking about the prospective customer, then about us as an organization, and then maybe, you know, if it comes up in topic, you know, competition and, and, and things like that. But it's, it's very much typically a business-oriented conversation. There is an aspect, as I say, of that sort of reassurance because often a lot of people – especially with a title like, you know, chief operating officer or something like that, are worried about risk management. You know, people are worried about the organization that they're going to work with and how that's going to how that's going to happen. But typically the majority of the conversation is focused on, you know, the business aspects of the of the partnership. 
Yeah. And one of the things that I get a lot is saying, Hey, I see that you're connected to this person on LinkedIn and there's people that you're connected to that you barely know. And then there's people that you're connected to that stood up in your wedding. And there's that huge range in between. How do you manage that? And how close is too close when you're having these types of conversations? Leveraging personal friendships and relationships is obviously a good thing to good thing to do. But people also have to be mindful, especially as companies get bigger and have, you know, these sort of processes around compliance or, or you know, any sort of perceived inequity in a, in a process. You have to be very, very, very careful that there's not any sort of conflict of interest like that. So sometimes too close might not be a, a great thing. I think, of course, you know, if you range in terms of the connections on LinkedIn, often in someone like a role like myself has also been sold to hundreds and hundreds of times. So some of these executive relationships are maybe the other way around, right, where an executive is engaged with a selling team trying to sell to me, or it ranges through to where someone's a very close, you know, professional connection. So I think, again, understanding that early, being able to clearly map out the executive team at a buyer, being able to look for those connections and test what types of connections they are as early as possible is very important. And then from there, you can formulate the the strategy. But, you know, I wouldn't get happy years if you hear that, you know, my next door neighbor or my best friend, you know, is in the buying committee because that may backfire and they have to remove themselves from the process. If there's no existing relationship at all, how does this come together that obviously the sales rep comes to you and asks you to get involved. And we're going to talk in a moment about how you protect your schedule of, uh, against being overwhelmed. We'll get there in a moment. But before we get there, the rep wants you involved, gives you reasons you think they're legit. There's no pre-existing relationship at all. Are you reaching out personally? Is the rep reaching? Is it, is it one of these, you know, our people will talk to your people kind of thing and we'll try to set this up for you both. Like what are the mechanics of making it work, especially with a senior person in a large company who's got a lot of gatekeepers around them? I think here it will vary, right? I mean, in, uh, I am a big believer in personalization, being being personable and, you know, being being relevant and authentic, right? So we will have people ghostwrite something for me, but I always put it in my own words. You know, I can't possibly, neither, neither can any executive possibly keep up with the state of all deals and all customers and so forth. So a proper briefing around what's going on, you know, with this deal or with this customer, who the key people are, why it is we want to, you know, be connected and so forth. That type of briefing is is important. I'm personally a big believer and, you know, anyone can rest assured that if they receive an email from me that it's actually from me, right, uh, written by by me, whether that's a rep now or chat GPT helping in the, you know, in the future, it'll still be written personally from me because I I believe that, you know, again, executives are pretty well trained to spot whether something, you know, is, is genuine or real or, or not. It's absolutely fine for a sales rep or, a, you know, CSM who wants to engage an executive to sort of flag to the people that they work with, that there might be an outreach from me to their executive team. You know, I think one of the big things in some sort of executive to executive outreach, you've got to be careful that there's not, you're not perceived as going over anybody's head, you know, on the, on the prospect side. And I think that does happen sometimes. So I think it's always better if the, the selling team can say, look, I think what would be great is for, you know, person X to talk with Toby or, you know, insert executive name here because they have specific expertise, have specific things, point of view to share around these topics which are important to 
to you all. And and I think that's the way to do it, Steve. So it's it's very relevant to that particular executive. It's not just executive outreach for the sake of executive outreach. It it should be again relevant to progressing the relationship forward. You raised an interesting point there. Do do buyers and champions sometimes feel that they are being run over here, even even if that's the last thing you're you're trying to do, uh, do, do they they sometimes get territorial and be like, "This is my decision, my per- I actually don't want my CEO or my CRO involved in this because I feel it's going to get away from me, and I want to be the one making this decision, and I want the credit for this. So, do they, is there sometimes resistance to doing this? I think it can definitely be the case, right? I mean, there can definitely be a situation in maybe in a larger organization where not all initiatives and things like that have bubbled their way up to the you know senior levels i mean if i reach out to an executive somewhere and that executive literally knows nothing about this particular project or initiative and then just pushes it straight back down that'll have a bad look so again that's why i recommend that if you're going to do that that it's teed up in the right in the right way where our the people on a selling team are talking to people on a buying team and saying, hey, listen, based on everything we've heard, I think it would make sense to connect executives together. Or if we've already spoken with that particular executive, you know, in a, in a smaller organization, for example, where maybe our selling team has already spoken to the chief revenue officer or chief marketing officer or, you know, chief whatever officer, then me or someone else in our executive team reaching out to that person as a follow-up and building on the conversation that's happened already is also totally fine. I mean, it should never be a surprise, Steve. That, that'll always result in, in a bad result. And that's always a trigger of like, how qualified is this? Do we have the right people involved in the team? Yeah. Absolutely right. And I think that as selling teams are thinking about this, Tether, if you can't map out who the right executives are on a on a prospect side and and why they might be interested in connecting with you and you're simply trying to you know you found the name of someone on LinkedIn and, and you're throwing darts by a by a cold outreach I mean using an executive as a as a BDR or an SDR is a bad idea always <laughs> how do you protect your schedule Toby given that there's there's a lot of our salespeople who would no doubt welcome your help. Uh, you got you've got a few other things on your on your agenda besides doing these calls. How do you f- strike that balance of knowing when to be involved and and when to say no? And how do you communicate that within the organization? My personal view is Steve that our customers are the most important things. Our whether that's our customers or our prospective future customers are the most important you know aspect for me to spend my time on. You know, so I treat it accordingly in terms of prioritization of of topics. No doubt I'm very fortunate to have a great EA who can who can manage that. And I would say that the filter is around preparation. Those reps or CSMs or anyone in our go-to-market teams or other teams that want me to do something in terms of an executive outreach or engagement or you know join join presentations or whatever it is, those that are the best prepared, that that best understand why why this is beneficial for the client that I would engage. Etc. Who can better articulate that will will garner my my attention. So you know, again, a simple Slack saying, "Hey, I see you connected to Heather. You know, please reach out." I'm I'm not going to do that. You know, I need the I need the context. I need to understand why. I mean, my my relationships are very important to me. Everybody that I'm connected with that I know or that I know, I'm very protective of that. I'm more protective of that than my than my calendar. You know, I, I'd say it's more 
the calendar as you know access and, and getting on is easy Pre- preparation briefing showing that they've done their their homework I'm still going to be the ultimate judge of whether I'll use my relationship capital with my with my connections right and but then sometimes there is no relationship right it's just it's just it's just Toby I, I need your help I need your help like it look it seems like a cheat code for a sales guy it's like oh yeah I'm just gonna get Toby to like get in here and boom I'm I just I'm gonna I'm going to advance this deal. So beyond prep and context, I mean, you must have some parameters around deal size and deal stage to say this one's either too small or it's too early or it's too late. I mean, there's got to, there's got to be something here so that you're not being pulled into deals that are just not material. I have no materiality threshold in terms of value or in terms of sales stage or anything like that, Steve. If I think I can add value to a conversation and by that, I mean value to our clients. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I will draw a line if something is too late, right? If this is a, we're not sure what's going on. You know, we haven't been able to get to the right people. We're not sure if we're winning. Please do something. I draw a line at that type of thing because, you know, then the seller hasn't done a good job. They haven't gotten in. They haven't done what they need, they need to do. And it's not, not my job to sort of play clean up crew and that and I would encourage people to really think about that because you know in terms of who garners my attention and who I help and so forth I help the ones I mean this is kind of probably true in business in in general I I, I you always help the people that have helped themselves that have done the research that have done the homework that have mapped things out that have made it that have made it easier that really clearly articulate why they need you know executive engagement so for sure it should be part of people's playbooks to engage executives early often in deal cycles and and so forth but i just don't believe that that's for you know throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks so i was talking to a c level uh person the other day who was saying they don't get involved simply because they feel like it's an overburden to their schedule and that mm-hmm. once you create the relationship there's this tendency to want to continue that relationship after sale. In my experience, I find people have good intentions of continuing it after sale and continuing this relationship on a regular basis, but it's not so overburdensome that it takes up your entire day. Do you find the same or do you tend to keep a regular cadence with folks that you've made these connections with? So, I mean, I think that depends and it varies. Heather, I mean, a relationship is both sides, right? In terms of people wanting to keep that connection. I think what's important is that, People know they have your email, they have your cell phone number, they know how to contact you should the need arise. I mean, depending on the project that you're talking about, again, if you're selling to a very large organization and you have some executive outreach during that, it's not maybe normal that that executive would also reach back out to you, you know, based on things that are happening in the in the project. But, you know, I'm a big believer that you, you can't just be there until you know, a deal is done and then you, and then you go away. So, you know, I consider that I've got some very long standing relationships with, with key executives in our, in our customer, you know, client prospect base and also the other way executives that have sold into us or that do business with us over many years. I think, you know, depending on the nature of that relationship, how strategic it is, how important it is for both companies, maintaining that executive relationship is, is very, very important. And look, I mean, very large companies, you know, the largest companies in the world, the CEOs and C-level people are most certainly involved in executive relationships with their partners and clients. And 
I, I mean, I know that to be true, and I think that's also very true for companies which are which are scaling. So, frankly, I'd be concerned about anyone in the C level of a, at an organisation saying that they don't have any time to be involved in customers or, or customer or prospect interactions. Yeah, I agree. So we don't want to turn our C-levels into a BDR or an SDR, but what is the limit for you? Is it just one outreach or is it multiple outreaches or how do you think about that? I think if we're talking about, for example, a cold outreach to someone that I don't know via email, a follow-up is okay. And an executive should view the relationships that they make on behalf of their company like normal relationships. I mean, I can't you know, ask someone on a date three times and they don't answer me and then I just keep on asking, right? I mean, at a certain point in time, that's just being completely ridiculous. And so I think the same thing is if for whatever reason the outreach that I'm that I'm making and have made in a couple of different angles is not is not resonating, then you know you should stop and we should try some different different approach. Or perhaps it's an indication that, you know, that a prospect is not particularly interested in engaging, but at least they will know that that offer is is there, Heather. So for me, it's, you know, we have busy inboxes and, and so forth. There can certainly be a follow-up, but again, I'm certainly not going to put any executive outreach into a sort of formal cadence or repeat and rinse, you know, rinse and repeat, try and follow up uh, multiple, multiple times if there's no interest in engaging. You know, I, you know, again, again, I'm a big believer that a relationship goes both ways. Are you sometimes more successful in reaching that point by working up their internal ladder. So rather than you making that outreach, particularly I'm, I'm thinking about a senior executive in a really large company who is going to have multiple gatekeepers, including somebody probably sweeping out their inbox for them. They might never even see your message because the gatekeeper didn't understand the context. Do you sometimes get further by kind of working it up their internal ladder that, you know, one of our leaders would like to speak with you? Advice I got a long, long time ago, and this was, of course, maybe in face-to-face interactions, was make sure that you understand who the gatekeepers are. That's often an executive assistant. That might be a chief of staff or someone like that. And flagging that there is going to be a follow-up, whether it comes internally, you know, like the champion that you're selling to going and mentioning to the executive assistant, hey, watch out for an outreach, which is going to come from you know, Toby over at Seismic and please, if you could put that on the calendar, I mean, that's always going to be more likely to be to be successful than, you know, just blatant cold outreach. So to my point earlier around paving the way for that, you know, in, internal outreach, I think that's always better if you can, if you can arrange it. So do you have a cadence that you use? Do you always use email or do you sometimes reach out over LinkedIn? Is there any way, any other vehicles or channels that you use besides email? So LinkedIn messages, for sure. I think if someone is particularly active on LinkedIn, and I think LinkedIn does, you know, can be quite casual, you know, but also effective at quick quick responses. So I think you can gauge, you know, if somebody engages on, on LinkedIn. You know, I always leave myself and whenever we have a, you know, in my email signature or whenever I have a an interaction with, with an executive, if they want to get in touch that way, because some people prefer prefer text, but I think it's it's still probably predominantly email. Heather, as at least for me, as a you know professional form of communication, which again makes it you know you've got to make the outreach personal and compelling and so forth as as well. So that would probably be probably be it. But you know, hopefully you build a relationship and then you can get to better understanding of people's communication 
communication styles. And if you can get on, you know, a regular cadence to talk or get on a texting basis, you know, that's always a good sign. Toby, you mentioned peer-to-peer relationships. And I want to dig into that just a little bit because I presume it has to be more than just title matching, more than just our CEO wants to talk to your CEO, our CRO wants to talk to your CRO, if for no other reason that companies are very, very different sizes. You know, is the CEO of my startup actually the peer of the CEO of that giant prospect or is that really not the way it works? How do you think about aligning the right people on our team with the right people on their team? No, that's exactly right, Steve. I mean, you know, a company our size, we're about 1,500 people. Of course, I can't go on demand to talk to the chief operating officer or chief business officer at, you know, an enormous company, right? I mean, you have VPs or senior VPs at, at some organizations that have thousands of people working for them. So I think it's important to understand you should look at the executive connection at the right sort of sphere of influence, sphere of responsibility at another organization. And, you know, of course, the the C-level executive of a, you know, Fortune 50 company's calendar probably looks di- different to the, the calendar, you know, of a, of a company like ours. Then on the other, the flip side, you've got a really small company, right, where you might not even have VPs or things like that. You might have an organization of 20 or 20 or 30 people. So the right way to think about that is matching up to, um, you know, a person of appropriate influence, you know, appropriate decision-making authority and, you know, that, that you're still talking at that right level about, um, you know, business, business topics. I think it's therefore important to understand as your organization gets larger to also not go directly to the C-level when you need to engage. I mean, you know, our organization, for example, we have, you know, VPs and senior VPs and things like that in different functions, you know, VP of enterprise sales or customer success who should absolutely be engaging. And when we think about executive engagement, that doesn't always mean go straight to the, straight to the top. You know, I mean, we've got a whole organization that is capable of making those um, making those connections. So I think that's important as as well to engage all levels and for also all those levels of mid to senior management to understand that they have a role in this, let's call it executive level relationship building as well. So when you think about it, as we're, we're thinking about wrapping up, what for those who are not doing this or don't feel like they're doing it effectively... What are your top tips for like how to get better involved and create these relationships? And then the second thing is, what are the top things that folks should really avoid to summarize? So I think if we're trying to condense it into what sort of selling teams should do or go-to-market teams should do in terms of better executive engagement, it's think about simple templates for briefing so that, you know, when you're an executive, I mean, I'll use a, a simple example of when we go to a a conference. I sometimes have 20 meetings, you know, executive meetings over two or three days. If I would get 20 different formats of information, 20 different ways of learning about an account, I wouldn't know what was going on, right? So having just simple standard way to get information, whether that's done by like your, you know, sales ops team or something like that, you can you can do that simply. The same goes, by the way, for requests of board members or things like that. You should create a simple process for doing that and helping people. Something I've done is that I always copy in the selling team, like blind copy on sort of examples of 
outreach that I've done so that if they want to reach out again and help to ghostwrite something, they can they can try to mimic, you know, the style in which I would do that. Again, it's always customized and personalized, but making it easier for the executive to to edit and send, I think, is important. The other thing I would say is to the topic of keeping engaged as an executive, that's also the job of the post-sales organization to keep that up. I mean, I'm not sitting here keeping track of, you know, the 500 people that I might have met in a particular cycle. Now, some, again, I've built a long relationship and we've become, you know, personal friends and so forth. Others, it also requires the post-sales team to engage as well. So think about, you know, having a customer success team and, and others create forums like executive business reviews and things like that, which also drive that engagement again and and sort of creates a forum both on the customer side and on the you know the supplier side for creating that executive engagement so the simple things you can do like that absolutely and what is the biggest pitfall or mistake either you've experienced or seen other people experience when it comes to you know getting getting folks at the sea level involved in their sales cycle what 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 are the top things they should avoid so we've covered too late and i think that's a big one we've covered any sort of random acts of desperation should be absolutely avoided. No, no, no executive wants to do that. It's a bad look for the, for the, for the company. The other things, and I've seen some people talk about this and, and post about this is give the right briefing to really what you want to get out of it because a customer doesn't want to hear 10 minutes about the origin story of the company or they don't want to hear you know, you aggressively talk about competition. They don't want to. They don't want to hear you talk about things that other that are not important to to them. And you know, so that's where I say like this. This sort of briefing is very important because otherwise, you know, like executives like to talk, right? And it can go off the rails quickly if you if you don't do that proper briefing. And I, and I mean that in terms of you know really what you're trying to do, get in terms of outcomes out of a call and and things like that. Would I be right in assuming that these calls are always just one-on-one? It's not the sales rep saying, oh, can I join? And then a bunch of people from there, and it ends up with a gallery of spectators. These are these are private personal calls, calls are they, Toby? Yes, Stephen. I have a big fundamental you know, topic with anyone else being on a call or even a call being recorded. I mean, no one-on-one calls that I ever have with anyone else in the executive position are ever recorded. And... I think that's just a sort of fundamental part of building a relationship. So I would say that as well, you know, the, the seller or, you know, whoever it is needs to trust their executive and needs to let them handle that call because that's how, that's how normal humans interact with each other is that they, that they talk and they talk in a, in a private and, and confidential manner if it's about, you know, topics like companies doing, doing business with each other. So those are, you know, that's a principle I have that, that I think will make for better executive conversations is you don't want anyone else hanging around. You don't want any flies on the wall and you don't want anything recorded. Well, Toby, thank you for joining us. I I think we've covered some really good ground. I I hope we've challenged our listeners and our viewers to, you know, maybe think a little bigger, maybe think a little more strategically and, and hopefully to avoid some of those common pitfalls that you illuminated. So thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. What jumped out at you the most, Heather? 
I think when reps first start to engage C-level folks to have conversations, there's often this misconception that they're coming in to sell or move the deal forward. And Toby was really clear that successful conversations involve creating a relationship. So they are talking to that person peer-to-peer about things that matter to both of them and not coming in to talk about the product, the competition, unless this is something that that specific executive has asked about and wants to have the conversation there. It's so often that there's a disconnect about what the rep thinks that conversation is going to be about versus what a really meaningful executive C-level to C-level conversation is really about. I agree so much. That really jumped out at me as well. I, I, I know, <laughs> I, I was going to say I think, but I know that some reps feel, all right, I'm going to bring in the heavyweight closer. And, and this is, this is what's going to happen. And, and that's not what's going to happen as, as Toby made clear. He's going to build confidence. He's going to share lots of insights. He's going to build a relation. He's going to do a lot of things that are going to be very valuable in this process, but he's not coming over the top as the heavyweight closer and, and nor should any exec in that situation because that, you know, that peer in that other firm, is not signing up for that. They're not signing up for the heavyweight closer. They're signing up to to meet someone who is is their peer. They're signing up to learn something, to be be challenged, to be inspired, all sorts of things, not to be just pitched from a different direction or from a a more senior position. I, I think that's really important, and that that goes together with so many of the other things that, that Toby was talking about. Right? This is a one-on-one conversation. This is not recorded. This this is not just step 17 in the sales cycle and everything's going to be in chorus or everything's going to be in gong like everything else. This is something a little outside of the cycle. It's timed and it's strategically aligned with that cycle, obviously, but it's not just one more step. It, It is a little outside of that and it's more personal. It's more human. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing about that is, is when Toby said, I don't like it can happen at any point. It can happen way in advance of us having a, a conversation ever about our product. Maybe they're in another contract. Maybe, you know, we're just setting these relationships up or it can be deeper into the sales cycle. He doesn't have a hard and fast rule, except it can't be to save the day. It can't be the Hail Mary. And that makes total sense because it wouldn't work. You know, it just simply wouldn't work unless there was a very specific objective to having that conversation. Absolutely. You can't undermine the credibility of your execs by trying to <laughs> throw them in in a deal that's about to be lost, as as you said, as a Hail Mary. That's, that's not going to work. It's not going to feel very good for anyone and it's not going to be successful. I, I think this, you know, Toby talked about the fact that this is, is, is not just a transactional deal mechanism. This is longer term strategic relationship building, and it has to be treated as such. You can't disrespect your peer in the other firm, and you can't disrespect the, the, the process here by just thinking you can just fire that exec in and save the day in the last moment. Yeah. The other interesting thing, though, is when it's not necessarily about the sale, you still need to know the context of us as a company having the relationship with their company and that person. And what's the background there? And I know Toby always asks, or he mentioned it in writing specific to 
that person specific to where we are in the sales cycle doesn't mean he's going to be selling it. It just means he needs to understand it to have a more meaningful conversation. And I think that that is absolutely critical to having any kind of meaningful conversation at an executive level. Absolutely. That context is necessary to understanding the job to be done of this conversation. So this is not random acts of executive friend making. This is a strategic process and he needs to understand the context such that he can deliver what is really needed at that time and, and do so in a really authentic and human way. And, you know, something else that just jumped out at me is I presumed there would be more of a materiality filter that he would say the deal's got to be of a certain size. It's got to be at a certain stage. And he didn't. He did quite the opposite. He said, no, really, it's, it's the best prepped rep. You know, it's the rep who comes with, with the best context and the best prep is going to get my attention and going to get my help more so than just saying, well, your deal's too small. I'm not here to help. And, and the fact that he really prioritizes this. And, and, and that came clear when we talked about schedule pr- uh, protection and everything else. He said, like, this is one of the most important things that I do. So I don't need to yeah. protect my schedule as much as I just need to protect my relationship or my reputation and my relationships by doing it the right way. Yeah. And he also, you know, while qualification is a huge piece of this, the other piece of it is if I'm a buyer and I am really hesitant about letting you talk to people above me to help me and to help you um, make this relationship work, I think that there is a problem with the person that you see as either your champion or decision maker. There's something wrong with the sales cycle if you are not willing to have these conversations as a buyer, it doesn't necessarily mean it might mean it's the wrong time. It also might mean you're with the wrong group, the wrong person. It might mean that they're not serious about it, but it's also a little bit of a litmus test. And the one thing he was very clear about is he doesn't want to be in a position to be seen as somebody jumping heads into a cold environment where he's doing a reach out to somebody who doesn't even know this is going on. And I've been in that situation before as somebody that's been asked to reach out and there's nothing more awkward is the best word for it for sure if you enjoyed this episode follow the show on youtube or your favorite podcast app and check out go to market magic.com for show notes and resources